chapter 16. And I will read our passage this morning. We're going to be in verse 19, 19 to 31. Uh, Luke 16, 19 to 31. Luke 16, 19 to 31. This is what it says. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm, and it's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, Least they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we walk into just confronting the realities that this text presents to us, that this parable presents to us, Lord, I ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that are soft towards your word. Lord, you desire, when you speak, you desire to change people. And this morning, I ask that you would make us receptive to the change that you desire to do. Lord, would you give us understanding? Would you give us wisdom? Lord, would you speak the clarity of your word to our hearts this morning? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, how many of you have ever heard of something called an echo chamber? Echo chamber. Who knows? Yes. Okay, we've heard of these things. There are literal echo chambers where uh, you, you talk and the, the sound just bounces off the walls. It gets really loud. And then there are figurative echo chambers that exist. And, and so instead of defining it immediately for you, what I, I want to do is I want to talk about, uh, I'll, I'll kind of tell you a story about an echo chamber. There are, there's this group of people, and they are referred to as flat earthers. So flat earthers. And, and what flat earthers uh, talk about all the time is the reality that the earth is not, in fact, a sphere, but it is flat. Now, we remember this from the 1600s. Everybody thought the earth was flat until some people did some like, amazing science and actually kind of thought about the way the universe worked. And no, it doesn't make sense that the earth is flat, but flat earthers say it doesn't make sense that the earth is round. So I want to talk about kind of what they say, the kind of the words that they come up with. First of all, they, they say that the earth is like a, a big disk, a big disk that's kind of just floating there in space. And then uh, the Antarctica is at the center of the disk, and then uh, around the edge of the disk is uh, a big ice wall. And, and 
guarding that ice wall, I want you to be very aware that, that there are agents of NASA guarding that ice wall to make sure that when people hit the ice wall that they don't fall off the earth. That's why the people from NASA stand at the ice wall. I'm I'm telling you, you're thinking this is ridiculous. There are people today who legitimately believe these things that I'm telling you. I want you to be aware. So uh, the the gravity, so, so they say that gravity is a farce. Gravity is not real. It doesn't exist. What's actually happening is that this disk is is rising up in space, and that's what's actually keeping us held to the earth, is that this disk is constantly moving upwards so that, so that we kind of stay grounded, that we just don't float, float off of the earth, and so that's, that's something that's, that's happening, uh, and then they say, okay, so, so then, like, there are pictures, we have pictures taken in space of an earth that is round, and, and they, they essentially say, well, well, that's photoshopped, that's not real. That's developed. If somebody made that up, it's all a big conspiracy uh, that the earth is round and, and somebody's trying to fool us, namely people at NASA. People at NASA are the enemy in this scenario. And so, uh, so on top of that, what's happened is, so you talk to airline pilots and airline pilots, they actually, like, if they flew straight, like they, they feel like they have to fly at a curve, right? Or if they're, if they're flying straight, they'd actually end up on the other side of the world, right? Like in theory. But they're saying, no, no, that the people at NASA have actually confused the GPSs of these airline pilots to make them think that they're flying a different direction than they're actually flying. Like that's what they've done. So another layer of conspiracy. And then on top of that, all of the world governments are, are working together to convince us uh, that the earth is in fact round because they don't want us to find out that the earth is flat. So, uh, and, and the, the basic idea is you go with observable reality. So when I stand outside there and I look across the plane of the earth, I can observe with my two eyes that the earth is flat. Therefore, the earth must be flat. And that's what they say. That's how it works. And they deny everything else. So this is what we call an echo chamber. You have a bunch of people who talk about a bunch of ridiculous stuff. In fact, there is uh, somebody, I have a quote to share with you. This is kind of how these people operate. While writing off buckets of concrete evidence that the earth is spherical, they readily accept a laundry list of propositions that some would call ludicrous. And that is exactly what's happening, right? You, this, this all um, just conflicts with objective reality. So let's talk about echo chambers then. An echo chamber... Uh, or echo chambers are spaces of conversations and interaction where people with whom I already agree affirm my perspectives, attitudes, and opinions. So this is what an echo chamber is. So you got somebody who says that, that the earth is flat. What has happened because of the, the advent of the internet is you get people who Google, I think the earth is flat, and they type that in. And you know what? They can find a website confirming for them that the earth is flat. In fact, you can probably find a website confirming just about any opinion you have because there is somebody else in the world who has the same opinion, right? And so what this has enabled us to do is find a number of people who can affirm our perspectives and our attitudes and opinions no matter how wrong they might be. Now, why? Why is everybody trying to do this? Why do we find echo chambers? Because I would wager that to a certain degree, we all have certain echo chambers that we run in, certain people who agree with our perspectives and who are able to, to reinforce them. And so why do we do this? I think we are trying to answer a bigger life question when we enter into these echo chambers. And, and that question is this, am I right? 
Am I right? We want to be right. That's really important to us because if we are right, if the things that we think are correct, if the way that we act is correct, if I am right, then I am secure. So, so if, I'm, if I'm shown to be correct about what I think and the things that I might do and the things that I might say, then I, I am in a safe place. I don't have to worry about anything because I am shown to be correct in, in my way of thinking. And uh, this is what promises offer us, right? So when somebody promises us something, what they're doing is they're, they're giving us a train of thought and they're saying that train of thought will be true based on the promise that I'm giving you. So, so the promise actually makes us feel secure. It gives us a sense of safety. It gives us something we can trust. And this is what we do when we get into echo chambers is we, we get enough people to agree with us. We get people who make us feel secure, make us feel the sense that we are right. And so, so echo chambers are not a new thing. This is, this is something that people have done for a really long time throughout history. And human beings are historically very, very good at finding people who can agree with us and affirm our perspectives to make us think that that we're right. And this was the case in Jesus's time too, Um, except they didn't ask the question. They didn't ask, am I right or am I secure? They asked it kind of a different way. The question that they asked was this, am I blessed? Am I blessed? So, so it's, it's essentially the same question though, right? The question is, how secure am I? How safe am I? Am I blessed? Does God have my back? Those kinds of questions. And, and they tried to find an answer to that question, am I blessed by using their echo chambers? And so we can read about their echo chambers if we go back a few verses. In Luke 16, verse 14, this is what it says. It says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, it's not a good thing, by the way, heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him, that is Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. The law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And then he gives a teaching on the law. He says everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So, so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you people who say that you believe the law more than anybody else, let's actually talk about this. This is what you do, Pharisees. You love money. In fact, you love money more than you love people. Um, Pharisees, you have you reject and ridicule me. Uh, when Jesus is saying these words, when he's saying you reject and ridicule me, Jesus was the promised Messiah that the, the, the Old Testament had talked about for a long time, many, many years, it looked forward to a coming Messiah. And so when Jesus finally shows up at the, on the scene, and then, and then the Pharisees are rejecting Jesus, what's happening is, is they're not listening to their scriptures, right? And, and so you don't, you don't actually even, he's saying, Pharisees, you don't actually even keep your own law. Like, if you go, if you look at what you're doing, the way you treat divorce, by the way, the Pharisees looked for any excuse, like, uh, the, the way they had so shifted the law in their time was that, like, if, if your wife burns your dinner, then you have the freedom to divorce her. She has shown herself to be unfaithful to you, right? And this is what, and you laugh, but that is legitimately what the Pharisees believed. They, they made that kind of teaching to justify themselves when they wanted to divorce their wives. So he's saying this, he's saying, your little group, 
You Pharisees, you have an echo chamber. You justify yourselves. You make the law say things that you want it to say so that you can do what you want to do. Which means when you look at your life and and you ask this big question, am I right, am I blessed, am I secure, you look at at your life and, and you say things that the law doesn't say so that you can answer that question with a yes. But your echo chamber is loud. It's so loud that you can't actually hear what the law has to say. You're not actually hearing it. And, and when he says it in verse 17, he says, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than when for one dot of the law to become void. What he's saying is that Pharisees, you've treated the law as if it's already passed away. You're doing things where you're not listening to the law. You're not interested in hearing what God has to say. But I tell you, this law will not pass away. So, Pharisees, I imagine the Pharisees going, okay, okay, Jesus, give us an example. Tell us what you're talking about. So, so, so Jesus says two things. In, in verse uh, 16, he says, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and people are forcing their way into it. Literally, what, what is happening is that you have all of these people, people who the Pharisees didn't expect, by the way, who are changing their lives to jump into the kingdom of God. You have a ton of people who cannot wait to be a part of what Jesus is doing because they see the work that he's doing all all throughout the area. They see the healings that he has been able to accomplish. They see that the kingdom of God has come and they cannot wait to be a part of it, but the Pharisees don't want anything to do with it. So he's saying you've missed the point here and then he, he has the quote about divorce to show them again that they've missed the point. Here's an example of the fact that you aren't listening to the law. And so he says, Pharisees, you live in an echo chamber. It's so loud that you can't actually hear God's voice. You can't actually hear what God is saying. And then to hit the point home, this is what he does. He tells a parable. He tells a parable to make it even more clear to them that they're not listening to the law. So we have this parable, verse 19. It says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came, they licked his sores. The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died, and also was buried. Okay, so this is, he says, Pharisees, you live in an echo chamber, and let me just reinforce your echo chamber for you. I'm going to tell you a story about a rich man. So, so what Jesus does with this whole first section of the parable is he is reinforcing their echo chamber, their patterns of thought. So when he talks about a rich man, he's confirming a message for them. If you have money, if you have a lot of money, you must be blessed by God. That's a message that the Pharisees believed. If you have money, then you must be blessed by God. Conversely, if you don't have money, if you're perhaps a poor man like Lazarus, you're not blessed by God. You, you, you're actually cursed by God, right? Okay, so, so that's a message that's confirmed. And, and, and what the sacred chamber becomes for them, it, it becomes a lens for the world. It's not just that they're getting their, their ideas reinforced, but it's actually changing how they perceive the world, way, the way that they look at people. And they're trying to answer this question, am I right, am I secure, am I blessed? And every single detail here, starting with the rich man, but, but every detail that follows, it reinforces that echo chamber. 
So he says, the, the purple, the clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple and fine linen are, uh, are symbols. They are all things that only rich people have. Only very rich people have. It says he feasted sumptuously. It's like he had a Thanksgiving dinner every day of his life. This is what the rich man experienced all the time. He, he always had a lot, a lot of resources, a lot. He had plenty the whole time. If you look to the end here, it says that the rich man died and was buried. So, so for a rich man to be buried is actually really significant. For anybody to be blessed by God, it is really important that they were buried because the Jewish people, they believed in a resurrection. They believed that our bodies were important and that, that uh, part of the blessing that God has on your life is shown by the fact that you are buried. That's something that they believed. And then what we have to assume then is that the poor man wasn't buried because it didn't say that the poor man was buried, which would indicate to us it's another level of cursing. If you weren't, if you weren't buried, that's really not a good thing. Uh, it means that you were cursed by God, that you did not have God's blessing. Uh, the breadcrumbs, the, this poor man doesn't have any money. He's waiting for these breadcrumbs to fall from the table. I want you, uh, like the way, the way people used bread back in this time was they essentially used it like napkins, like to wipe their hand, to wipe the oil off of their hands, to get the stuff off their plate, to make it look clean. So, so literally, when this when this poor man is sitting at the table, he's waiting for the crumbs to fall from the table. He's waiting for the things that the, the rich man has wiped his hands on, so that he can eat it. He's destitute. He doesn't have anything. It says the, that the dogs actually came and licked his sores as he was sitting outside of the rich man's gate. Lazarus is sitting here, and, and, and when, when the dogs come, dogs are unclean animals in the Jewish law, which is another sign of this poor man's cursing. There's no burial mentioned, um, and, and so there's a, there's a scene uh, at a different point when the disciples are with Jesus, and this is the kind of person that the disciples would look at and say, Jesus, who, sin- who sinned, this man or his parents? Right? Because this was a sign of, of the fact that he had some sort of sin in his life. The fact that the, the favor of God was not upon this man. This all would have confirmed these messages for the Pharisees. So Jesus is presenting this case to the Pharisees that is so clear in their judgments to, to reinforce their echo chamber. And so the answer to their question, that, that, that big question, am I right, am I blessed, am I secure? The answer to their question is this, that the rich man is, in fact, secure and blessed, and that the poor man is cursed by God. That's the way that they would read this. That's the way that they would hear this story as, as Jesus is telling it. It's so obvious to them. There's no question, as Jesus gives these details, that the rich man is blessed by God, and the poor man is is cursed by God. Lazarus is cursed by God. But there, there are some, uh, so, so let's talk about our echo chambers because I want to transition to those, um, the, the ones that we experience today. So we can talk about silly echo chambers like the idea of flat earthers, right? But, uh, but uh, I, I think it might be helpful for us to talk about some of the echo chambers that we can actually be a part of today. There are some that are actually much more serious than the idea of, of believing in a flat earth. So, um, how about this one? Money equals security and blessing. Like, that's, that's the same one, actually, that the Pharisees believed in, but it still exists today. We still actually contend to believe that even in our churches, even in our gospel-preaching churches. 
There, in fact, sometimes uh, um, there are these churches, this thing called the prosperity gospel, where people say God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's the, that's the display of God's blessing on your life. And this, the problem with that is that um, the godlier you are, then maybe the fancier your suit is. Or the godlier you are, maybe the most celebratory people are, are, are the people who have the most, who, who God has given the most. And the implication is, hey, suffering isn't in God's will if you're suffering. You must be outside of God's will. You need to do something to get yourself into God's will so that you can be blessed, so you can receive riches, so you can receive the things God wants for you. And what they're saying is once you come to God, hey, everything gets easier. Once you get where God wants you to be, everything gets easier. Now, the New Testament tells us a much different story than that, um, that people who actually come to God, who, who come and believe in Jesus, that they're going to face persecution for the things that they believe, right? So, but, uh, but that is one message that we can tend to believe. And uh, another echo chamber that we might walk into is something that says like this, uh, live your truth. So, so our, our culture a lot is, is giving this message a lot today that uh, whatever you feel inside of you, whatever makes you happiest, whatever you believe to be the most right, then just follow that thing. Follow whatever is in your heart. Live your truth. You know what's best for you. Your wants and desires are basically good, and so you should just follow those, right? That's another echo chamber that exists today. Um, another echo chamber, a political perspective. Somebody say, be careful, Pastor Alex. Oh, you didn't say it. Oh, well, that's okay. Uh, if you live, if you live, everybody's like really worried. What is he going to say right now? Don't worry, it's okay. Uh, if you live in any political sphere, in any political echo chamber, what you have is you have everything, uh, uh, messages that are, perf- uh, that are telling you, that are, that, are, that are casting the idea towards you that your perspective is right. So it doesn't matter which, which echo chamber you're in, the idea is that they're reinforcing it. So, so, pro-Trump people might emphasize Trump's effective decision-making in their mind, right? That might be something that they emphasize when they talk about uh, Trump. And then, and then uh, Trump is just really fun to talk about. And so, so anti-Trump people might uh, emphasize his Twitter feed uh, as, as, a, as a point to say, hey, this is maybe somebody you shouldn't listen to. But they all emphasize different things and de-emphasize different things, right? Because they have an echo chamber. They have uh, some rightness that they need to reinforce. So everything you see in your echo chamber, whether, whether it's money and security, whether you're saying live your truth, whether it's your political perspective, whatever it might be, everything you see justifies the perspective that you had. And this is how, this is how echo chambers work. This is how it worked for the Pharisees. Well, Jesus, he's going to go on and tell this story. And basically what he indicates to us is that if, and this is a big if, but if our echo chamber is too loud then we might not be as secure as we think we are. If our echo chamber is too loud, we might not be as secure as we think we are. So, verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he, that is the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So before we talk too much, uh, there, there is a natural question that's going to come up in reading this, and that question is, what conclusions should we take from this parable to draw about the afterlife? Um, that's going to be a, a, a natural question that all of us will come up with, and um, we need to, before we answer that question, we need to have some clarity about Jesus's purpose 
Jesus' purpose with this parable is not to give us an exact representation of what the afterlife will be like. He's actually telling us a story with a different purpose. He's telling us something about echo chambers, right? This is, this is uh, what we've learned. We, he's telling us something about the Pharisees who believe one thing, but, but might at the end of the day sh- be shown to be wrong. Okay, so if that's his purpose, then his goal is not to give us an exact picture of what the afterlife will be like. However, there are concepts present in the parable that tell us what Jesus's assumptions were about the afterlife. And if they were Jesus's assumptions, you can pretty much go on the case that they are true, right? Because Jesus is the creator of the whole universe, right? Okay, we've got that. So at the very least, what the conclusions that we can draw from this parable about the afterlife are this, that there is a place of blessing after death. That is a hope for Christians, for anybody who believes in Jesus, that we look forward to a place of blessing and that there is a place of agony and torment after death. Those are the the conclusions that we can draw here. Those are the biggest ones that we can draw. I don't know if there's a, a ton more that we can say. There, there are certainly guesses that we can have in this parable, but those are the most solid things that we can draw from this parable. So, so let's be real. The reality that there is a place of agony and torment after death is not a comfortable reality for us to live in, especially if you've uh, come up in the current culture that we're in today, because it tells us that we are accountable for the things that we do, that we actually have to answer for the things that we do, and that there's actually going to be a really hard judgment. Not just, not just judgment that, that God says, okay, you're wrong, but I'm going to have mercy on you anyway. That's not actually how it works. Like, there, there is a place where people will experience agony and torment. And, and so that's, that's not, people don't talk about that much today. Um, it's not something that anybody loves to talk about, but it is a reality that Jesus talks about pretty frequently. So then, beyond the nature of the afterlife, there is a bigger focus, and this is, this is the bigger focus of the parable, who ends up truly being blessed and secure. And what the rich man discovers, in this case, is that he is, in fact, not blessed. So, so this, uh, it's actually disruptive to his echo chamber and to the echo chambers of the people who are listening because what he believed was that he was secure because he was rich, because he had all of these things in his life. And you even see it in how he addresses Abraham because he calls Abraham father. Anybody who was a child of Abraham was a child of a promise given all the way back in Genesis 12, Right? Abraham had, uh, was a, had a promise given to him by God that all of his offspring would be blessed. So when he says, Father Abraham, he's saying, I am one of your offspring. I should have been blessed. He's even pointing to the echo chamber further because of that. And so he, he discovers that he's not, though. And, and what he really wants is he just wants a little bit of relief. When he says, have mercy on me, he doesn't say, hey, take me out of this place. He, he doesn't say, hey, I want to go somewhere else. He says, no, I just like want, if you could just give a little drop of water on my tongue, something to cool me just a little bit, that that would be merciful. And so um, 
So then it says he looks up to Abraham's side. You might have a translation that calls it Abraham's bosom. I, I, some people talk about what this might mean. Uh, I think the general picture that we get is, uh, we talked about tables last week, how uh, at dinner tables, is, Israel dinner tables, like you sit down, they're very low to the ground, and the way you sit at a dinner table is you actually lay at the dinner table. And so to be at Abraham's side is actually, it's talking about Abraham being at the dinner table. So when we talk about the end of time and the afterlife and talking about a dinner table, this is a really significant picture for anybody who's Jewish because the real Jewish blessing that was coming was that there's this huge feast that's going to celebrate God's victory and God's restoration over all creation. And so when it says he's at Abraham's side, like literally the, 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 a rich man is looking up into heaven, at, up at that great feast, and, and the, the poor man, the Lazarus, he is sitting at the, the best place of blessing at this feast, the be, uh, sitting right next to Abraham. So this is, here's the picture that we have. You have Lazarus, he's sitting next to Abraham at this great feast while the rich man is experiencing hell. And this is the disequilibrating moment in Jesus' parable because the guy that the Pharisees thought was blessed and secure was actually cursed, and the guy that they thought was cursed was actually blessed. It's a reversal of what's happening. And so Jesus is saying, listen up, your echo chamber is telling you that if these things define your life, that you are blessed, that you are okay, that you are safe, that you are secure, but if you continue living in this sphere of self-justification... Don't be surprised when the afterlife subverts your concepts. When the afterlife actually shows you that what you were believing the whole time was wrong. So at this point, he's saying your echo chamber is a threat to your soul. These ideas that prove blessing will actually lead to your torment. That's what he's saying. So then Abraham, he goes on to point out exactly what the problem was. Saying, listen... Rich man, you had every chance to have mercy on Lazarus. He actually, he, he, draws, he draws them in in verse 25, and um, he, he looks at the rich man, and as he's explaining this to him, he, he actually explains the reversal that happened. In your life, you received your good things. And Lazarus likewise received his bad things. The point is, like, you had every chance You could have helped him. He sat at your doorway every day. You made eye contact with him on a daily basis. Lazarus didn't have to receive his bad things when he was at your doorstep. So when he's there with Lazarus, he sees him every day. He has an opportunity actually to provide some relief, but he doesn't. He's saying, so so Lazarus suffered at your doorstep while you lived in luxury. So guess what? Now you're going to suffer while Lazarus lives up here in blessing. And this is justice. This is the justice that he's displaying. And this, the point of this is not to say rich people, at the end of the day, will not be rich anymore, but they'll have to suffer in the afterlife, and poor people will be blessed in the afterlife. That's not the point of this. The point is that the rich man had every opportunity to give his blessing to Lazarus, but he avoided it. He ignored it. He, he ignored the responsibility. So then verse 26 talks about this chasm that exists, this chasm between over here and over there. And there are a lot of of conclusions that we might draw from that, but I think that the general idea that it's going for is, hey, rich man, you had every opportunity to help Lazarus. 
And right now, Lazarus, even if he wanted to, could not do anything to help you. There's actually something that's preventing him from doing it. He is not actually able to cross over there. You had every chance, and he would probably want to do it for you. He would probably want to relieve your suffering in some way, but he can't. It's forbidden because justice has to be served in this case. So rich man, God gave you plenty, every opportunity, but you didn't do this. And so, so can we talk about what Jesus is really saying here for a second? Because he's pointing to something that's significant. He's saying, rich man, the problem is that you had no compassion for your brother. And this was a direct disobedience to the law. So can, we, we're just going to walk through Old Testament scripture here for just a second. Uh, I'm going to read some passages for you. I'm not going to put the whole thing up on the screen, but I just want you to hear what Old Testament scripture had to say about having compassion on your brother. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them, rather be open-hearted, freely lend them whatever they need. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 verses 10 and 11 says, Give generously to the poor. Do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord God will bless you in all your work. And then in the wisdom books, it says, and in Proverbs, it's all over the place in Proverbs, it says, Speak up in Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs fourteen twenty one says, It is a sin to despise one's neighbor. But blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs twenty eight twenty seven: Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Isaiah 1, 7. Now we're moving on to the prophets. It says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Zechariah 7, 9, 10. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. The whole point is that the, the rich man was trying to say, I'm good, I'm safe, I'm secure, I have all of the blessing of God, but there are all of these commands woven throughout the Old Testament scriptures that indicate he had a responsibility to care for his neighbor, and he neglected that responsibility. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, rich man, you did not exercise justice. The law demanded it. You looked in the eyes of Lazarus. You ignored him every single day. You watched the dogs lick his sores. And so, rich man, your echo chamber was so loud that you couldn't actually hear God's word. And because you couldn't hear God's word, now you are having to face justice for what has happened. So then verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word that makes it clear that compassion and concern for the poor are of utmost importance. They have it. Let them, did you see what it says? It says, let them hear them. The implication is right now they're not listening. Right now they don't have their ears open, but let them hear what the prophets and Moses are actually saying. So compassion and concern for the poor, that's, that's one message, one responsibility among many that the Pharisees ignored. 
right? So, so Jesus is using compassion and concern for the poor as an example of the fact that the, the Pharisees in general were ignoring parts of the Old Testament law that they chose to ignore. So that's why you see in verse 18 right before this, it seems like it doesn't fit when he's talking about divorce. But what he's actually saying is, Pharisees, you're ignoring the law. You're missing the point of the law. Jesus' goal is, is not to say whoever lacks, it, it is true that whoever lacks compassion for the poor is going to hell. Like that's what he's saying, but at the same time what he's saying is whoever is, has their ears shut off to God's word is the person who is going to end up not being blessed at the end of the day. His goal is to say hearts that are hardened to God's word will lead you to hell. Hearts hardened to God's word will lead you to hell. So when the rich man says, send Lazarus to go and tell my brothers, Abraham makes it clear. The overwhelming testimony of all of the scriptures that they say they base their life on has this very thing that they're missing in it. They just need to listen. They just need to obey. So there are, there are a lot of echo chambers out there today that are hardening hearts to God's word. So that, the, that when the word speaks clearly about certain things, their echo chambers actually enable them to ignore the things that the word says. So one of them, I mean, we can't skip over it because it's right in the parable, but have compassion for the foreigner and the poor. It's right in there. It's all throughout the scriptures. Have compassion for the foreigner and the poor, whatever their situation. And, and we say that the thing that we say that, that combats it, the thing that our echo chamber tells us is whatever their situation is, they probably deserve it. Right? That's, so there's one message. The other message, the message that comes to us from Scripture, your money isn't yours, it's God's. But our echo chambers tell us, you worked hard, you earned it, you deserve it, so you get to hold on to it. God's Word tells us that, that God gets to define our personhood, our gender, our sexuality, the, the, the things that we determine about ourselves. But there are echo chambers out there today that, that says no one can tell you how to define yourself except for you. Right? So there's another echo chamber that's, that's shutting out God's Word. So people say, um, how about moral absolutes? There are a ton of moral absolutes in God's word. A ton of things that God expects of us to do. But, but the echo chamber that we have today says the right thing to do is what makes you happy. How about um, there, there, there is a, a, something told to us in the scripture that goes like, only, hey, only people forgiven by Jesus go to heaven. But, but there's an echo chamber out there today that says, hey, if you do enough good, if you do enough good works, if you work hard enough, you know you can actually earn your approval, earn God's approval for yourself, right? Another echo chamber competing with God's word. And Abraham's saying, if they won't listen to the word, if they won't let the word speak for itself, listen with the intent to be changed, if they would simply do that, they'll be saved. But if they won't do it, there's nothing else I can do for them. There's nothing else that will actually be effective. And so verse 30 says, And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He's saying, If you send Lazarus back from the dead, they will repent. They'll listen to Lazarus. But, but Abraham knows, he said to him, If they do not hear, Moses 
and the prophets. So what did they care about Lazarus? Lazarus was a poor man who sat outside their doorstep. They ignored him all the time. They don't care about Lazarus, they, but they say they base their whole life on Moses and the prophets. So if they won't even hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man thinks that they can be convinced. And of course, we know that Jesus would go from the dead. He would rise from the dead. He would show himself to be victorious over death. And we know that there are numerous people who had either seen or heard about his rising from the dead who still refused to respond to what he was doing, who still wanted to continue in their own path and in their own vein. And so Abraham says, they have everything they need right now to respond to God. They have God's word. They have Moses and the prophets. They actually can still change if only they will let God disrupt their self-justification. The point of the whole parable is this. There is great danger in a heart that ignores God's word. There is great danger in a heart that ignores God's word. So the problem is, is that we are all born in to echo chambers. Every one of us has something that we are inclined to believe, some way that we're inclined to justify ourselves so that we can seek our own selfish desires. And so Romans 3.10 says it like this, 3.10 through 12, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Nobody is seeking to, to, everybody's seeking to prove themselves, to justify themselves. Nobody is concerned about what God wants. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Which means that by, in our own nature, we are all tending towards self-justification. And we will all try to find some kind of echo chamber that proves to us that we are right. And that's the way Jesus sends the parable. He doesn't, he doesn't give a, a silver lining of hope at the end. He doesn't say anything. He just says, here's the end. If they won't, if they won't listen to the prophets, they're not going to believe if somebody rises from the dead. So then, there's a parable about the kingdom of God, about realities of the kingdom of God. So why, then, can we talk about the gospel of the kingdom as being good news? If this is true... And if our hearts are naturally inclined to follow our own pathways, our own desires, then why can we talk about this being good news, about the gospel of the kingdom being good news? Well, the reality is that the kingdom comes with a new heart. So we have hearts that follow our own desires, but the kingdom of God, the promise of the kingdom of God, is that it comes with a new heart. We see it in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. This is how Jesus says it in John chapter 3. He actually says something like, we can be born again. Yes, we were born with hard hearts. We were born into our echo chambers. But it's actually possible for us to receive new hearts. For us to be born again. In fact, the whole testimony of the Bible says something like this. If you come to Jesus confessing wrong, turning from your wrong, something happens, Jesus actually puts a new heart inside of you that God can do something with. 
that God can shape, that God can form according to what He wants. Hearts that, that when God's Word speaks, they actually respond. This is the good news that we're given. And not only that, but, but He forgives us for all of the past that we engaged in willingly with our hard hearts. And not just the past, but the past, present, and future because the hard hearts keep showing up. I gotta tell y'all, they keep coming up. But, but He forgives us for all that our hard hearts cause and He gives us a new heart. And that's the answer to the big question that we all have, which is, who is right, who is blessed, who is secure? The person who hears God's word, admits their wrongdoing, repents, and turns towards Jesus. That's the hope that we can pull from this parable, because yes, we're all inclined to follow our own echo chambers. We're all inclined towards hard hearts, but Jesus offers the opportunity to get a new heart. And by the way, this is the pattern of the rest of our lives. We hear God's word, we admit our wrongdoing, we repent, and we turn towards Jesus, and we kind of just keep doing that all the way along, right? We respond, and, and God does that to shape our hearts, to make them the kind of hearts that he desires them to be. Okay, so what? I have two. First, so uh, receive God's word like a father speaking to a child or like a child receiving from their father, a child being taught by their father. So we don't just read God's word to understand intellectually, but one of the things that we believe is that God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that, that it actually pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. And the point of that is to say, like, God's word reads us. So as we listen to God's word, as we read God's word, we let it reveal to us things about ourselves, and then we enable, like, we actually change because of what it shows us. So we need to receive it like, like a father would be instructing us. But not just instructing us, God tells us other things in his word too. He gives us encouragement. He builds up our hearts. He shows us the path that we might walk on. And so we start to understand as we approach God's word with this kind of thing, we, we understand the kinds of things that he wants for us, the ways that he desires us to live. And, and our relationship with God you know, it starts with repentance and faith in Jesus, but then it carries on because the Holy Spirit actually takes the words that we read, he reminds us of them, and he uses them to work on our hearts and, and actually changes us to be more like Jesus, right? So, so we just, like, one of the things that we need to do, we, we need to receive God's word not to prove ourselves, not to justify ourselves, not to show ourselves that we're trying to do better. We need to receive God's word like, like a child receives instruction from their father. And the second thing I would say is this. Be willing to evaluate your echo chambers. So the point of today's sermon is not that every echo chamber sends people to hell. The point is, if your echo chamber is too loud for you to hear God's word, then you need to do something to your echo chamber so that God's word can speak and actually do something to you. So, so I don't know what your echo chamber might be, but the call is for all of us to evaluate and be aware of the voices that we're listening to. It might be political, it might be spiritual, it might be educational, it might be work-related, it might be family-related, it doesn't matter. Like, but there are echo chambers that are going to block out God's word for us, and we need to, to evaluate what those are in our lives so that we might quiet those voices so that we can hear the voice of God speak and actually do the kinds of things that... Jesus wants us to do. 
So if we're to heed this warning this morning, then we should strive to do all that we can to let God's word do its work in our lives, grounding us in our faith in Jesus and making us more and more like him. That's the point of the parable. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's a hard reality to live with that your, your word actually says things and mentions things like torment and anguish and judgment. Lord, and our hearts can even be resistant to those things because there are echo chambers in our culture today that tell us to resist those ideas. And so, Lord, may we receive your word like a father who is offering instruction to his children. Or would you do something in our hearts? Would you actually work something in our hearts to change them? Lord, the promise you give us is that you will place a new heart within us. And if anybody this morning has not placed their trust in Jesus alone for salvation, Lord, I ask that you would enable them to do that, that you would enable them uh, by faith to, to start following Jesus. And, and Jesus, the promise that you give to that person who comes to you confessing their sins, admitting their wrong, and turning from, from their wrongdoing, the, the promise that you give to that person is that you will give them a new heart. So God, I ask that you would do this th- th- this morning, that, that you might lead somebody who, who hasn't already trusted you to have faith in you. Lord, that you would re- lead the rest of us to have faith in you, to have more trust in you. Lord, that we might actually be responsive to your word, to the things that you desire to do in us, the people that you desire to, to turn us into. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand with us, please.